This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Montana U.S. Senator John Tester. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator John Tester next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. Their plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Montana farmer and U.S. Senator John Tester has held a number of town hall meetings across his state. Tester says his constituents are very disappointed with the politics and lack of functionality in Washington. I think there's a lot of frustration with, you know, the Democrat versus Republican partisanship that goes on in Washington, D.C. And the fact that uh, because of that, uh, we're not getting done what we need to get done. Uh, And look, the the examples are many, and, and, and the constituents that I have in Montana hear about it every day. But whether it's uh, appropriations bills to make sure that we've funded our government or whether it's uh, making sure that we're doing what we can do to drive down health care prices or whether it's what's going on with tariffs and trade in this country, I think all those are big issues for all Montanans, but, but particularly important for people in production ag. In D.C., you serve on appropriations. We are past the deadline for the new fiscal year and counting down now to the end of this current continuing resolution. How long is the road to an omnibus from where you sit? There's probably going to be another continuing resolution, and it's going to push into potentially into December and hopefully not into the new year. Jeff, I come out of of the state legislature, and the state legislature in Montana meets on odd years for 90 days. The main job for the legislature is to put forth a budget. And with the exception of one time over the last 20 years or longer, we have done that. I think the federal government needs to take a look at what's going on in the states. Uh, we are sent here to put out a budget. It is our primary job. We never started working on this budget until September. And why, I do not know. And quite frankly, when it comes to issues that revolve around health care or agriculture or you name it, the federal government plays such a huge role in it that it's kind of irresponsible. In fact, not kind of, it is irresponsible for us to do that. Has the Senate ever come to a consensus on the dollar figure for the new fiscal year? And yeah. if you're a betting man, what are the odds that we get this done? Because on the House side, I'm heard that they're talking of January or February. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it could it could well bleed in the next year. I hope it doesn't. Um, look, the the budget that was voted on here a couple months ago uh, is uh, is a very liberal budget. In, in fact, it's it puts this country in debt to the tune of about a trillion dollars just with the passage of that budget. That means after the tax revenue is taken in, we're still deficit spending to the tune of a trillion dollars. Money ain't the problem here, is what I'm telling you. I mean that that money that that budget is plenty uh, uh, plenty flush 
to be able to fund uh, programs that are that are critical for this country, whether it be defense or whether it be making sure our borders are secure or whether it's making sure that there's a safety net there for folks in agriculture or whether it's it's making sure that we've 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 got the kind of investments in infrastructure uh, at least upkeep in infrastructure we need the list goes on and on and on is where I'm going with this I don't think it's a problem with the dollars the dollars are there uh, it's a it's a very very uh liberal budget that was passed coming in for this next fiscal year Senator what is the financial condition of the farmers and ranchers in your state they're hurting. Um, you know, some of them that put, put the money away when the times were good six, seven, eight years ago are in better shape than others. But uh, the truth is is that most farmers don't and never have been able to run on a cash basis. They're always looking for an operating loan and, and always, uh, you know, it's always kind of hand to mouth. And when you have a few good years, there's always equipment needs to be updated and pickup needs to be bought and for good reason. Um, so there's never a lot of money in the bank. They say if you know if you want to get money into the economy, one of the best ways to do it is give it to a farmer and they'll spend it, and that's a fact. Uh, we, what we've got now with the trade wars is we've got prices that are, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a numbers guy, but I can tell you when I moved out to the farm and took over our family farm in in '78, wheat was a hard red ordinary winter was 350 a bushel. Um, here a month or two ago it was at 361. I mean, that's, you know, 40 years ago, basically, over 40 years ago, and the price, uh, not even inflation adjusted, hasn't come up. So what does that do? We all know how expenses have increased and how inputs have increased. And if you don't, if you don't get it on the market side of things, it puts you in a big bind. You can't pay the bills, basically. And so you go to the bank, and, and, and these low prices have caused the collateral of the land to drop some. I don't know how much for sure, but it has dropped some. And, and and you end up in a situation where you go into the bank and say, you know, I need X amount of dollars. Say it's a hundred grand for an operating loan. They look at it and say, you know what, you don't have the collateral to back that up. And that's really where we're at right now. I don't want to sensationalize, but asking for your opinion, do you think there's a, a looming financial crisis that's coming ahead for agriculture if things don't change? Yes, uh, and I, and I can tell you that um, I lived through the 1980s and I watched. Good farmers, through no fault of their own, um, just just bad market times, uh, high interest rates, um, end up not on the land anymore. And in many of these cases, these were folks whose grandfathers or great-grandfathers and mothers homesteaded that. I think we're looking at a very similar situation where the really big guys uh, probably be able to make it through it, and the smaller guys are 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 much bigger of a bind, and then you end up with with more consolidation of the land. Uh, I think that impacts things like food security for the country, and it certainly impacts our way of life in this nation. I've I've always said, and I believe this to the bottom of my toes, that the what set this country apart is family farm agriculture and public education, and we're, we're, we're losing on both, quite frankly. And I think that's a big, big mistake that future generations will have to pay for because of our lack of vision uh, right now. Could you expand on the bipartisan legislation that you've introduced to help farmers and ranchers with this heavy emotional stress that some are enduring now? Yeah, it's a it's a bill that uh, we're working with uh, Senator Grassley on. Him and myself are the two co-sponsors of the bill, and it's called the Farmer Mental Health Bill. Pretty self-explanatory, uh, but the truth is, is that uh, 
because you know uh, farmers are much more isolated than people who live in the city, that contributes to mental health. Because there's not a lot of providers out in rural America, that can contribute to mental health problems. And because it, we're in a situation right now where I think farmers are going to be in a bind financially, and, and that becomes quite worrisome for, for everybody. I've been there, done that, and I get it. And so all those things together, and the fact that in, in rural states just generally, suicide is over the top in Montana. It's not an area that I brag about, but the fact is is that we lead the nation in suicides in Montana. It's a rural state. What I've tried to do is I've tried to put forth some ideas that will really get ahead of the curve on on some of the issues that are impacting mental health in rural America. It does some things for uh, folks who work in in the farm service agency offices and with soil conservation. It's voluntary where they those people who work for the government can go out and get trained up so that if a farmer comes in, and a lot of these guys have been working with these farmers and gals, I should say, have been working with these farmers and ranchers for many, many decades, and they come in and they're down in the mouth, they can recognize it and get them some help, as long as they're willing, get them some help. The other thing it does is it, it puts up some billboards to let people know that there's help out there. And in rural America, that's a big deal, because if you get into crisis and you don't know where to turn, uh, it tends to unravel pretty quick for you. And it's not a big ticket item. In the overall scheme of things, it's just not that much money for the benefit that it possibly could accrue from it. And this will do a couple things. First of all, it'll let folks know out there that there's people that that are concerned about them. Uh, it'll let uh, it'll help remove some of the stigma on, on mental health, which is a a big problem overall, whether you're talking rural or urban America. And 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 it'll put a few more eyeballs on these folks. Uh, uh, that, that if they if they get into into crisis can can help them. Trade is a top issue in agriculture. Let's start with the USMCA. Could you vote for that piece as it stands right now if it were introduced? You bet. Yes, no doubt about it. Look, uh, the USMCA compared to NAFTA, to be honest with you, is not markedly different. It does help the dairy people out, which I think is really important, and it, and it helps some folks who make some some auto parts. Other than that, it's not a lot. I mean, it's got some things in it for wheat grading going north where any wheat we sent north would be graded as feed and any grain coming south, we we don't grade it as feed. We grade it what it is. If it's hard, number one, hard amber, that's what we grade it. If it's feed, that's what we grade it. Um, the only problem is there's not a lot of enforcement there, so I don't know if that will ever come to fruition. And it's the same thing with some of the other stuff. It's hard, it's hard to enforce in other countries unless you've got enforcement mechanisms within it. And I think that's really the hold up that and pharmaceuticals. But I will tell you, if it was brought in front of the Senate right now, I'd vote for it because it may not be as good as I want it to be, but a trade deal that might not be as good as I want it to be is, is a heck of a lot better than no trade deal at all. How do you feel about the president's uh, trade relationship and his action toward China? And is this just an agriculture issue, or do you see it from a bigger picture of national security and overall economic health for the U.S.? Yeah, no, look, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, trade and national security go hand in hand, and, and it's just the way it is. Uh, we can try to separate them, but they cannot be separated. And and the, if you're making a country more powerful with bad trade policies, it can have real negative impacts on our 
our national security. So let me let me tell you something. China has not been a good actor for a long time. Uh, the president is right on that. And quite frankly, it ain't just been the U.S. It's been all the countries. You can talk to Australia; they tell you the same thing. So we go in and we're going to put sanctions on China, which has gotten to be a pretty hefty economy with billions and billions of people. And we don't bring anybody with us. We don't bring the Australians with us, or the Argentinas with us, or the Brazils with us, or anybody with us. And quite frankly, if you're going to put trade sanctions in the worldwide economy we live in, whether we like it or not, it's a fact, that's the world we live in, then you're not going to be successful putting these sanctions on it. We we need our allies to join us. You can talk to anybody that knows anything about trade, and they'll tell you that. They'll tell you the reason we failed in China is we went it alone. And the administration will say, well, we haven't failed in China because we're still, we're still talking. The bottom line is China needs to be held accountable. They're, they're not being held accountable because we can't put enough pressure on them just ourselves. Now, if we'd have had the other countries with us, there's two things that would have happened. They'd have felt a lot more pressure, and those countries, other countries wouldn't be eating the markets up that we normally had with them, which is a critically important point. You know, I mean, everybody's in it to make a living, and, and folks have to be able to survive. So if those markets are there and we're not filling them, some other country's going to, unless they're on our side with, this, with these trade sanctions. Senator Tester, you are a champion for rural issues and certainly for rural development, and broadband is top of mind. There was money in the 18 Farm Bill to help to expand rural broadband. The House is trying to spend some additional dollars toward it in their budget proposal. Let me ask you from a farmer standpoint and from a senator standpoint, we'll appreciate your mindset. Is this a money issue or is this an organization issue? Wow, it's both. Um, broadband's expensive. There's no doubt about that. And uh, if we're going to have our ability to precision farm, which, by the way, I think is uh, pretty darn cool in, in my book, uh, uh, it, it can help save a lot of input costs and, and it can help protect uh, water and habitat. It's the right thing to be doing. But if we're going to have precision farm, we've got to have 5G. If we've got to have 5G, you've got to have high-speed Internet and it's got to be accessible in rural areas. So... The money needs to be spent if we're, if we're going to have it. The only hitch in that is if, if satellite technology is developed to be able to, to do this, uh, well, that would be great because I think it would be a heck of a lot cheaper. That aside, I think it's an organization issue too. And the reason I say that is the maps are so miserably bad. Where if you look at the maps and, and the FCC, and they know it. We've been critical of them. They know they screwed up. But but they went to the providers and say, did you do you have coverage for this area? And they'd say yes, even though they didn't have coverage because it prevented other carriers from coming into that area. And so we've got maps. For instance, the map of Montana. If you look at it, it shows it. Pick a color, all red, all yellow, whatever it may be. And I got news for them. I didn't even close. Where I live, uh, cell phones only work if you're sitting on your head in a corner and your mouth's in the right position. And techs even have a hard time working. So we've got a long ways to go in rural America to be able to get to a point where we have the kind of access to, to, to broadband that brings us into the 21st century and allows us to take advantage of things like precision farming. Cost of health care is a national issue in rural America. It's a matter if there's health care there or not. I know that you've taken some action as well to make sure that local hospitals were supported, but also trying to get some boots on the ground of those who might be able to come in and serve constituents. 
Yeah, just as we talked about the mental health issue, uh, conventional medicine, we need more general practitioners. We need more physician's assistants and nurse practitioners. We need more nurses uh, in, in our, our rural areas. And I've got a, I've got a bevy of bills that w- will help get more uh, health care professionals uh, into rural America. Um, and, and I think it's, it, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge for some time. It seems like it's com- been more complicated the last... 25 years. I know in my small town, and I'm not bad-mouthing nurse practitioners or physician assistants. Thank God we have them. But we haven't had an MD for since the early 90s if, or late 80s. And here's what I'm really concerned about. In my little town of Big Sandy, Montana, population is about 600. It was 1,000 30, 40 years ago. But, it, you know, because of what happened in the 80s, it's, it's kind of downsized. And if we have another downsize like that, we may lose our hospital. And if we don't have good policies at the federal government supporting those rural hospitals, those critical access hospitals, those small critical access hospitals, they're going to close. And if they close uh, and you're over the age of 50 years of age, you're not going to be able to live in those communities because you have to have access to good health care. Because you get in crisis that golden hour, if it's more than an hour away, you're dead. And so... These hospitals, making sure they're staffed up and making sure they're around is critically important. But just as with every issue, whether you're talking broadband or whether you're talking any issue that's out there, there's more than just one component to it. And so as we work to try to get more folks in, whether it's nurses or docs or physician's assistants or making sure we get more mental health professionals available at those hospitals, we also have to be very, very cognizant that some of the things we do here in Washington, D.C. could really dry up rural America. And if rural America gets dried up, it will become a giant sucking sound because hospitals close, then a bank closes, then a school closes, and then pretty soon you got a ghost town and you got nobody living in rural America. You don't have that access to food security uh, of dependable food supply, I should be more specific on that, than you do in the current day when you have a vibrant family farm agriculture economy. But the fact of the matter is, is we need to have government, whether it's a state or federal level, make sure that we're doing things that help promote production agriculture, family farm agriculture. Uh, Agribusiness is going to be fine. Those guys are big enough and they're multinational companies. They aren't going to go out of business tomorrow. But we've got a lot of family farmers that are, that are in that boat, and we don't want to lose them because they know how to farm, they know how to grow good food, and they know how to grow healthy food. In appropriations, you sat on a subcommittee with an eye to not only rural development, but USDA and FDA. So the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is calling for legislation that would identify beef as beef and plant source protein substitutes as imitation. How do you see this issue, especially in light of of what we have allowed through food labeling with, per se, milk? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very, very, very good correlation. You know, milk to me is something that comes out of a cow or a goat or a mammal, uh, certainly not something that comes out of an almond or a soybean. I think that what's going on with NCBAs are trying to get ahead of the equation here on this stuff because you got folks out there that are labeling plants meat, and quite frankly, I eat a lot of plants myself. I eat a lot of meat, too, and, and there's no shame in eating plants and calling them plants. And we also need to know in this 21st century when we can take a cell and, 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 and do some pretty marvelous things with it for the good, that if they're, if they're taking that cell and they're making meat in a lab, people ought to know that. I'm not saying it's bad for you, but people ought to know it. And so they can make their decision whether they want to eat beef off of a cow that's walking around or 
or a pig that's walking around or if they want to eat meat of a laboratory. So we, we pushed a thing called the Meat Labeling Act to really be able to label cell-based meats as what they are and, and not meat. They should be labeled so that the consumers know what they're buying, and I think it's critically important, and it's just the way it is. There are so many examples, Jeff, of how labels get mishmashed in all this stuff, and this is, whether you're talking milk, whether you're talking foreign beef coming in from the country and being stamped with a USDA label and people thinking it's American beef, there's another one that we need to fix, and we could through country of origin labeling. But this cell-based meat labeling, I think it's critically important just to let consumers know. And I got nothing against somebody who wants to eat meat that's built in a laboratory. That's their call. But I think they ought to know it when they buy it. Senator, we want to thank you so much for, uh, during a busy schedule, taking time to visit with us here on Open Night. We always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It is Open Mike, and the farmer from Montana gets the last word. Well, I just like to say there's, you know, there's always been a lot of challenge in, in production agriculture, and, 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 and I would say that uh, with challenges come opportunity. And it makes people think outside the box and makes them try to figure out ways to, to be able to maximize their ability to stay in business. I can tell you in the 1980s, my wife and I looked around and we, we saw we were one of the smallest outfits out there and we had had a butcher shop, we still did, and we were processing meat, we were making ends meet, but we knew it wasn't going to last forever. And so we made some tough choices and uh, uncertain choices and we decided to go into organic agriculture and it's worked out very, very well for us. I, I think if we would have been pressured to do that when we did that, I'm not sure the family farm would still be in the family. And so as we talk about all the challenges out there, whether it's high input costs, whether it's low prices from the marketplace, whether it's access to health care, whether it's access to mental health care, whether it's new technologies coming up with things like cell-based meat, just know that farmers are smart people. They're survivors. And if we take a look at the economy and figure out ways we can make it work for us, there's always an opportunity for success. So thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Our thanks to Montana farmer and U.S. Senator John Tester. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.